Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. I'm thrilled to be here with a fellow Connecticut resident, uh, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Let me tell you a little bit about him. I'm sure you already are you know, well-versed in who he is and what he does, but uh, his background, he's a board-certified cardiologist, and he's an assistant clinical professor of medicine at University of Connecticut School of Medicine in Farmington, Connecticut. He's certified as a bioenergetic psychotherapist and nutrition and anti-aging specialist. Uh, Dr. Sinatra integrates psychological, nutraceutical, and electrical electroceutical therapies into the matrix of healing. He's the founder of heartmdinstitute.com, an, an informational website dedicated to promoting public awareness of integrative medicine, as well as vervana.com, and we'll provide those links in the show notes. Uh, and that's a website focused on high vibrational living and foods. He's been formulating supplements with healthy directions for 25 years. He's a fellow in the American College of Cardiology and the American College of Nutrition. I also want to add that he's published many, many, many peer-reviewed articles. He's contributed uh, chapters to many uh, integrative cardiology textbooks, and he has uh, generated lots of superb content for the non-professional audience as well. Dr. Sinatra, it's an honor to be with you. You're a real founding father of our field. Welcome to New Frontiers. Well, thanks so much for that very kind introduction. That was really nice of you. Well, let me, I want to tell you a little background. Now, we have a ton, of, as you and I were just talking about, I have loads of questions. Since I've got you on the line, I want to pick your brain thoroughly, but I just wanted to share with you kind of a, a cute um, anecdotal story from my history and yours as well. When you were a 
cardiology fellow at St. Francis, my mom was a cardiac nurse working with you, Noelle Manning. Oh, wow. And, okay. she, and she actually helped you set up your first office. Really? Yes. You mean Dr. Landry in Hartford? or Yeah, was it Liss? Dr. Liss? Oh, well, Liss was uh, uh, one of the uh, attendant cardiologists at St. Francis. And then I went into practice with Dr. Landry. Right. I was and telling him about all his office I was getting, and, and he felt a little bit compromised. And he says, why don't we go and practice together? And that's how it all started. And she was with, she helped you set up that original office. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. That, that was at 1000 Asylum. I don't believe it. Isn't that amazing? It was 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yes. Well, not so, you know, maybe 47 years ago. <laughs> Well, that was my mom, and she used to bring wow. us to the exercise physiology lab. Every once in a while, we would end up there. I don't know why, but I pro and, and it was so much fun. We would jog around the, the lab, and anyway, maybe our paths oh, crossed sweet. when I was a little one. <laughs> that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cute? So she it was is. excited. She was actually really excited to hear that I was talking to you today. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I'll give your mom my best, okay? I will, absolutely. Okay, so let's jump in. We've got loads to talk about, and, uh, you know, you've just been in the trenches here. Actually, you know what? Let me just ask you. When, so, we, so, so me having met you when I was a youngin' and, and you were doing your, your fellowship, like, when did you transition into integrative medicine? I mean, when did you really start thinking about it? You know, it's an amazing story. Uh, I had just uh, taken my cardiovascular boards. I, I passed the internal medicine boards right out of my residency and took the cardiovascular boards. And I was only 31 years old as a board-certified cardiologist. I took them at Yale. And I'll never forget this. I, I had a patient come in from Ohio who lived part-time in Connecticut. He had, he had some really severe refractory high blood pressure. And he asked me if I would speak to a Dr. Jacob Rintz, a chemist from Holland, because uh, he knew him from the petroleum industry. Huh. So I said, sure, I'd be happy to talk to him. So I spoke to this PhD, Dr. Rintz, and he was 91 years old, and he absolutely changed my life because wow. when I was on the telephone with him, it was absolutely incredible. He was erudite. He was funny. He was sharp. He had no symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. And then he said to me, I reversed my own arthrosclerosis. I said, what? You mean you reverse plaque? He goes, yes. I go, how'd you do that? He was talking about omega-3s, vitamin E, magnesium, wow. phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylcholine. Wow. I didn't even know what he was talking about back then. Wow. And when I got off the phone, you know, I said to myself, well, maybe that was, you know, set up by the angels or something. Maybe I was supposed to hear this conversation. But ever since that conversation, I became, a, you know, a conventional cardiologist in recovery, so to wow. speak. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so he changed my life. And I was so young. So then I started to get involved with um, nutrition and food and vitamins and minerals. Uh, then I went into a Gestalt psychotherapy training program. I studied with a lot of Fritz Perls psychotherapists from the West Coast. Um, then on the reading list, I read a book by Alexander Lowen called Bioenergetics. And I thought uh, this would be a perfect uh, fit for me as a, as a heart specialist. So then I did a 10-year training program in bioenergetics and became a psychotherapist. And then when I was in training for psychotherapy, I, I realized that I was deficient in nutrition. 
So I took the uh, board examination given by the American uh, Board of Nutrition, and I passed that. And then around that time, I, I was working with the A4M, and I took the anti-aging boards. So that's how my, my process evolved. I just uh, started t taking more and more training in, in, addition, in addition to my uh, you know, training in contemporary cardiology. I just branched down to other areas, and I'm still going to conferences. And it's amazing. I, I go to conferences to lecture, but lots of times I go to conferences just to learn as well, just like you do. So yes. you know, it's a great ride for me. And I'm always learning, which is really, really, really special. Yes. Wow, what a, what a spectacular story. So you've been walking this walk really your entire career. Yeah. And, uh, you know, throughout my career, I've written about 24 books, either co-authored or authored and published you know, dozens of uh, articles in the contemporary medical literature and various journals. And I'm still doing it. So it, it's, it's been really fun. I'll tell you this, Kara. Uh, I have learned so much in the last, you know, since I, I left my practice, you know, when my, when my son was sick, I stopped my, uh, my practice because I had to deal with that. But I have to tell you, um, over the last 10 years, I have even learned even more than I thought I learned in the last 30 years. So it's been an incredible ride. And it yeah. still continues, you know, it still continues. And I absolutely love what I do. You know, the worst thing about becoming a doctor like, like you and I, it takes decades to really learn what we're doing. And then all of a sudden we're at, we're, we're too old and we're at, then we die, you know, you, you gather all this information, experience and knowledge that you want to share, but then all of a sudden you're coming to the end of your lifetime. So for, for me, medicine has been an incredible journey and it still continues. Yes. And the research is just exploding as we move into systems medicine and the genome has been mapped. And now we're looking at all sorts of different omics and metabolomics. And it's just a, it's an exciting time to be in medicine and in science. You know, um, I think it's going to be very easier. Well, you know, easier for you as a clinician with this biogenome project being deciphered. Uh, um, Remember differential diagnosis that you learned in medical school? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now yes. you're going to go right to the biogenome, you know, figure out, you know, the, what pathways patients have or, or where, their, where the, their genetic weakness lies, and you'll be able to plug them up, you know, with yes. various therapies. I think medicine is going to be a lot easier in the future. That's pretty interesting. That's a really interesting prediction. Yeah, I, that's, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's like we're at the equivalent of the Industrial Revolution at the turn of the exactly. last century. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I, mean, I mean, look at all the SNPs people have. And with just, uh, you know, or the genetic deficiencies, whether it's MTHR or the, or the alleles, you know, the April 4 alleles. I mean, there are so many different genetic SNPs going on and sulfate pathways and, and the, like I said, the MTHFR, you know, the folate pathways, the, the methyl pathways. Yes. It's so complicated, but yet with the Biogenome Project, I think the newer doctors are going to study this and be able to really hone in on a person's problem right away, right I, away. Yeah, I th I, we, are, we are at an extraordinary and very powerful turning point in, you know, truly individualized medicine. All right, I've got one more super quick question, and then I know people are going to kill me if we don't dive into the meat of this, but I'm just curious, since you transitioned into integrative cardiology early on, we, I mean, how did your fellow conventional cardiologists receive you? I mean, we're in Connecticut. We're extremely conservative. Yeah, you know, it was a tough ride for me, especially when I was chief of cardiology at Manchester Memorial Hospital. Uh, even though I was publishing a lot of papers and writing a lot of books, 
when I was speaking on coenzyme Q10, or you know, if it was talking about folate or vitamin B12 deficiencies and, and homocysteine, uh, you know, doctors were walking out of the room. You know, and I was even the director of medical education. So it was sometimes it was a lonely ride because I felt like I was a salmon swimming upstream, so to speak. Right. Um, I didn't want to convince people, but I thought I was given some gifts early on. I mean, my discovery of coenzyme Q10 back in 1982, when I first dealt with a woman with, as was amazing, Kara, she had postpartum cardiomyopathy. I've only seen a few cases wow. in my entire lifetime. Uh -huh. But uh, she was in florid pulmonary edema and heart failure. She went from doctor to doctor, was waiting for a heart transplant. She was only 29 years old. Wow. She had a two-year-old and this little infant child of only a, a few weeks old. And uh, she came to see me. And it was amazing. I put her on coenzyme Q10, only 10 milligrams three times a day. Jeez. And after a few days, she was able to sleep through the night without coughing. And after a week, she was able to walk across the room. And then after two weeks, she felt so good. Um, and then they found a heart for her three or four months later. And she calls me up. She goes, I feel fine. Do I really need this heart? And I said, it's your choice. And now she's 73 years old. <laughs> so it's amazing. But that was the first incredible case I ever saw with a CoQ10 reversal of cardiomyopathy. And since that time, I've, oh my gosh, I've had dozens and dozens of patients who were taken off heart transplant. That's extraordinary. Just, that's just coenzyme Q10. And yeah, when, but wait. when metabolic cardiology came around, oh my God, it was even better. You know, well, listen, let me stuff. just clear, like, I got to clarify this. 10 milligrams three times a day, 10? 10. I started her off on 10 three times a day. You know, you got to realize when, when people are very deficient in coenzyme Q10, especially in a postpartum cardiomyopathy, when the, when the infant or the, you know, the fetus gets it all, remember that, they just suck the mother dry. Uh, even, even minimal CoQ10. And back then, we didn't know about it. I was using low doses. But now I use 100 milligrams three times a day. You right, know? right, right. And you some know, studies go up to, you know, 1,000 or more. There's a Parkinson study out there, I think, using oh, yeah. three grams. Oh, yeah. Parkinson study. And then even in the Huntington's Korea study, they were using two grams or more per day of coenzyme Q10. Jeez, I mean, the good news about coenzyme Q10, you can take massive doses. Remember this, Kara, the body makes CoQ10 and the body makes ribose and and the body makes carnitine. So any of those ingredients, since the body makes it, uh, you can go higher up on the scale because it's very natural for the body. The body doesn't see it as an allergic protein, so to speak. You know. Yes, right. And she was obviously absorbing it sufficiently. I mean, no one would give 10 milligrams TID. It's an incredible story. Thank you so much for that, Pearl. And then you know, the fact that you turned around so many people and they were all, then they were they did not require a heart transplant is is just amazing. Um, listen, I'm gonna I was gonna ask you about meta metabolic cardiology later, but I want to let talk about it right now. You know, you coined the term. What is it? And let's just jump into it because it's just sure. a fitting transition. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of us remember from high school biology. Uh, you know, ATP. We call it adenosine triphosphate. Mm -hmm. ATP is really the energy of life. I mean, even the German yes. war criminals during World War II knew that if they took cyanide, uh, they can commit suicide within seconds because we only have ATP for eight seconds. Uh, we have to keep making it through the Krebs cycle. In other words, we, 
we, we, we turn over our metabolic pathways, you know, thousands of times per millisecond. And the German war criminals knew this, so uh, they would use cyanide as a quick way to end their life. And um, it's amazing. If, if you drive ATP in a preferential direction and uh, you use supplements that help to build ATP, like coenzyme Q10 and carnitine will increase the turnover of ATP, while ribose is the center of the ATP molecule. Right. In other words, ribose is a five-sided sugar, and when you take D-ribose, now you're given the substrate for ATP, and you're using coenzyme Q10 and carnitine at the same time. Now you're driving ATP. And i got to tell you this, Kara, um, with the advent of stem cells and what we've learned in the last, oh gosh, even 10 years, I mean, I can remember reading a journal article, it was in 2006, uh, or 2009, it was in the science journal. Uh, I had this incredible excitement and joy because I believe, I believe that metabolic cardiology is connecting with the wisdom of the stem cells of our body because our body wants to heal itself. It really wants to heal itself no matter whatever we do. And basically, if you can connect the dots and drive the, the metabolic machinery into the next step, which is stem cell re renewal or revival, yes. that's where I think metabolic cardiology is working. There was another article that came out by the same group of researchers in 2017, which showed that our stem cells can even make, can even regenerate a damaged heart over a period of, let's say, 40 years. So if I had a patient with a massive heart attack and had, let's say, had pump function or ejection fraction of 10 to 15%, yes. and if I gave that patient metabolic cardiology um, and they lived another five or 10 years, now their own intrinsic stem cells would take over and replace their damaged heart cells with new heart cells. Yes. And that's the excitement of this whole stem cell technology that we've only learned within the last, uh, I would say, decade. So I, I think metabolic cardiology is, is really the greatest discovery I've ever made in my lifetime. That's extraordinary. I know the workhorse nutrients for you, you've just mentioned carnitine, CoQ, and ribose. And of course, the other pillar is magnesium. And, and magnesium, I just want to tell you, you know, magnesium, of course, harnesses those phosphates in ATP. And I remember reading a little, I, I, you know, I, I read this estimate that we cycle through like kilograms of magnesium. Obviously, we, you know, reuse it time and time again as we spin through ATP synthesis. Um, talk about magnesium and what, what you, what, you know, what you think about it. In well, you know, when Jacob Rintz, uh, when I had that phone call when I was only 31 years old, he was a magnesium addict at that point, he told me. Wow. And uh, he started me off on magnesium early. And then when I researched it, and then, uh, you know, as a board-certified cardiologist, uh, we'd occasionally run into these refractory cardiac arrhythmias. Yes. They're horrible. They're, they're called to to the points where you get a swing in ventricular tachycardia. And it, one of the only things that would correct that was IV magnesium. So here I was, you know, a board-certified cardiologist, meeting Rince, or talking to Rince on the telephone, learning about magnesium. Do you know, Kara, when I was in my early 30s, I was treating ventricular arrhythmias in the CCU and the ICU using magnesium drips in combination with uh, antiarrhythmic medications. So I was using magnesium very early on in my career because it would stabilize the heart 
and it would lower blood pressure. And, and now we know it protects uh, you know, the endothelial cells from endothelial cell dysfunction. So it's really important in arth atherosclerosis. The problem is, is that our soils are so depleted with magnesium that if people don't take magnesium as a supplement, by the way, I take magnesium every night. When I brush my teeth, yeah. I use two to 300 milligrams of magnesium as a, as a chaser, you know, when I, when I swallow <laughs> my water. Yes. And I have to tell you, I, I mean, magnesium, is, I think, is one of the most important uh, minerals in our body. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it's really deficient in the diet. So we need to take it as a supplement. Do you like a form of magnesium? Well, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, when I was at a CoQ10 conference about 12, 13 years ago, the Australians were talking about magnesium orotate. Um, it's the only form of magnesium that drives ATP in a preferential direction. So when I was working at Healthy Directions, and, and I make my own vitamin and mineral formulas. I've been doing it for over 30 years. Uh, I was the first American to come out with a magnesium preparation that uses magnesium orotate. So the magnesium formula that I use um, on drsinatra.com is a combination of magnesium orotate, citrate, glycinate, and um, glycinate and malate. You know, so I use a different. I use different Krebs cycle components of uh, of uh, magnesium, and 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 they're very very good. I have to tell you, um, magnesium is a is a vital. Uh, mineral that we really need in our body right. and we need the Krebs cycle components so it's utilized in the body well what about what about good old potassium I mean very no important of, yeah yeah it's, for a cardiologist like myself I mean I would have people eating you know high potassium foods a lot of seaweeds are very high in potassium I like bananas but the only problem with bananas is you know it's pure carbohydrates so right. we try to get away from that but you know there's loads of potassium in potatoes again potatoes are high carbohydrate but you can get potassium in fresh fruits and vegetables with low glycemic indexes. So, you know, you're not flooding the body with a lot of sugar. Yes. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in potassium and magnesium in being vital new, uh, minerals for the cardiovascular system. So listen, you know, not, not that long ago, we started uh, using ubiquinol for CoQ10, or some of, some of us did, but you know, the original work was on ubiquinone, and that's what you were turning around heart failure patients with. And so, do you, I mean, have you thought about using um, the reduced form ubiquinol these days, or have you experimented with it, or do you still? Oh, you, yeah, look, I, what I, do you I, think? I mean, I've been using CoQ10 for, oh gosh, let's see, since the early 80s, so. I, I've been using CoQ10 for more than 30 Decades. years. Yeah. And I've used all forms of ubiquinone. And when Kaneka came out with ubiquinol, I used that form as well. And I even did my own independent research. I did blood studies on, on a... In other words, if you have a highly bioavailable form of ubiquinone, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I've used with Raj Chopra. And by the way, we're all going to the CoQ10 conference, which is going to be in New York City this weekend. Uh, you know, this will come up again, but I can tell you the patent for ubiquinol is coming off. And I, I can tell you this, Kara, with 100% certainty that a good quality ubiquinone is as equally as good, if not better than a good quality ubiquinol. Um, so uh, the problem with ubiquinol is that in some people, and I did the independent research and then somebody wrote in on a Townsend letter uh, I don't know if you read the Townsend letter, but a long-distance runner 
when he switched over to ubiquinol, uh, had, had poor at times. In other words, he could not run as fast on ubiquinol as opposed to ubiquinone. And then I had a world-renowned weightlifter, a female here in Connecticut, uh-huh. who uh, when, I, when I did my independent study, she could not tolerate ubiquinol because she had fatigue. She was begging me to come off it. So I don't know why ubiquinol in, in a, the adult population uh, would, would have these, these minimal side effects for in some people a major. But I will tell you this. I think the only advantage ubiquinol has over ubiquinone is in very, very young children with inborn errors of metabolism where they have these such genetic deficiencies, like maybe a free drug taxi or something like that, mm-hmm. where they need a more highly active form of CoQ10. So I think in that population, ubiquinol might have an advantage. But in the adult population, no, I am not convinced. And why should people spend more money on CoQ10 when you really don't have to? Right. Uh, my patients, like you said before, I use hundreds of milligrams. And, uh, you know, you use a ubiquinol <laughs> at hundreds of milligrams. You know, this is going to be expensive for a lot of these patients. Right. So I rely on a, on a good quality, highly bioavailable form. And bi- what bioavailable means is that you're, you're absorbing it into the tissues of the body. Yes. And, and, and that's the magic of coenzyme Q10. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think your experience speaks to it. You know, and of course, the majority of data are on, is on, you know, ubiquinone. Um, all right. Listen, I'm going to ask you since we're By on By the this- way, the patents are coming off, like I said before, ubiquinol. So uh, they're going to be totally equal. And in fact, I, I, I wrote a whole monograph at a CoQ10 Association, and I'm sure they're going to discuss part of that at the conference next yep. weekend in New York City. Well, it'll be interesting to see, though, because some of these stories you're sharing are pretty compelling. I mean, I haven't been I, – I experimented with ubiquinol, but you're right. It's, it's cost prohibitive, and the research is on ubiquinone. So it, it'll be interesting to see when the price point is more reasonable, like, you know, what, you know, just kind of outcomes with it. Um, of course. But you're not convincing me to switch, given what you've just said. All right, listen, I want to ask you one other question in the supplement arena, and then I want to talk about, um, I want to move into nutrition. Uh, clotting and K2. Clotting oh, and K2. My favorite. Yeah, okay, go for it. Let's talk. Okay. Um, <laughs> about 13 or 14 years ago, um, I met Cees Vermeer and Dr. Leon Schrager's uh, at Yale New Haven. Um, and I, um, one of them was there lecturing on, 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 on some aspect of, of, of vitamin K. And I had dinner with him because it was amazing. Here I am, a board-certified cardiologist. I didn't know anything about vitamin K2. And Leon Schrager spent 30 years of his life studying vitamin K2. Now, what is K2? Well, well K2 is a, first of all, there's two forms of vitamin K. There's K1 that's involved with clotting. So if, if a person, let's say, is on pro-time, and, or, or if a person's, let's say, blood is too thin, you know, taking Coumadin, for example, and their pro-time yes. levels are very elevated, um, you know, you have to be careful, um, uh, and you have to give vitamin K1. And we've all had that experience of a person being on an anticoagulant where they have to go to surgery and we have to reverse it quickly. Now, vitamin K2 is different. Vitamin K2 literally um, takes out calcium out of, let's say, blood vessels where it doesn't belong, and it puts it back in bones where it does belong. And metoquinone 7 is a very 
um, bioavailable form of vitamin K2, much more bioavailable than MK4, for example, that's, you know, sold in, you know, lots of different vitamin formulas. It, it really doesn't work as well as MK7. But when I met Schrager's and C's Vermeer, these two Dutch scientists, uh, it was like uh, meeting, you know, uh, the Dutch chemist years ago, you know, all wow. over again. We had this yes. incredible aha. I said, this is the greatest stuff I've ever uh, came across. They, pre they presented the Rotterdam study, which showed that people would have aortic aneurysms uh, and people in Holland who were eating cheeses that contained vitamin K2, mm -hmm. uh, they, they literally strengthened uh, their, their blood vessels. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. So ever since I met these two scientists, uh, I actually brought vitamin K2 to Healthy Directions. And uh, since I met them, I take, you know, 300 milligram, uh, micrograms of vitamin K2 every day. I had two EBCT scans, by the way, Cara, which yeah. black and coronary vessels. And uh, my last scan, I was zero again. So uh, I just feel that. And by the way, I have a family history of, of uh, cardiovascular disease. I lost my dad when he was 74 of an, an, of an acute type uh, one dissection of the aorta. And at post-mortem, he was riddled with arthrosclerosis. So uh, for me, taking vitamin K2 is a lifesaver. In the, in the fact that um, uh, my scans have not shown calcification of blood vessels. So that's the miracle of vitamin K2. And it's one of those must-have supplements. And, and, a, and anybody with a family history of coronary disease, I put people on vitamin K2. And I put people on vitamin K2 uh, with, you know, any, if they have a handful of risk factors, for sure. And if, and if anybody wants to take K2, I would not discourage them at all because, as you know, for both men and women, especially women, you know, yes. coronary artery disease is a leading cause of death in women. Yes. So vitamin K2 is a very important nutrient. And not only will it, you know, help to prevent heart attack in women, but the most feared disease in most women today is osteoporosis. Yes. And now vitamin K2 is going to strengthen the bones in women. So I just feel it's one of those magical nutrients for all women and most men. Yes, yeah, absolutely. All right, so then um, 300 micrograms you're taking. Are you, yes. are you changing that when you're going for, when you're working with somebody with um, atherosclerosis or you're thinking about bone density? Or is that what you think is the sweet spot for? Yeah, that's my, that's the sweet spot. Uh, you know, I was on the phone with Mark Houston the other day and he takes 500 uh, micrograms and well, that's you know, close. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's a big dose. I mean, 300, uh, I, and, and the Dutch researchers commented on 300 as well. So, okay. but by the way, even if I would, I would be happy if somebody took 150 of, of, of vitamin K2, as long as it's MK7, it has to be metaquinone seven. Yes. If it's metaquinone four, and unfortunately, a lot of people use metoquinone for, you know, it's like the ubiquinone, ubiquinone situation all over again, you know. So uh, I just feel if they take MK7, uh, if they take 150 to 180 mics, uh, I would be happy. With that They're dose. good. They're good. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was MK4, I think, that really got the original research attention, certainly looking at bone health. But I, I think it's very con conclusive at this point that, you know, MK7 is, is, is superior. Oh, it, far superior yeah. bioavailability. It yeah. lasts in the body yeah. so much longer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like night and day. Yep. All right. So listen, one more supplement question. Yeah. Open up your supplement closet. 
<laughs> no, okay, just tell me what, what's, so what is your maintenance protocol? My maintenance? I mean, yeah. what do I take? Yeah, what do you take? What are you taking today? Oh, God. You sure you want me to tell you what I take? Well, I, mean, I, take I take a lot of stuff. All right. What's Look, your, I give take, me, all right, give let, me, your, let me say it this way. Give I me take your metabolic cardiology. Okay, yeah. I, take, I take magnesium every night. I take coenzyme Q10 every day. I take omega-3s. I take a little bit of carnitine, about 500 milligrams a day. Um, and I take resveratrol and turmeric because those are in my own supplements that help with directions. I put resveratrol, turmeric, CoQ10, omega-3 together. Now, one supplement, uh, I was in Japan about 12 years ago, uh, and I learned about astaxanthin. Are you familiar yes. with astaxanthin? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I started using that about as soon as I was in Japan when I learned about it. Um, this is one supplement that I think really glitters. I mean, uh, this is a, a, a carotenoid um, that is just um, awesome. You know, it's... Um, uh, it comes from it's it's come from seaweeds, you know. Has a lot of it's also has a lot of polyphenol activity in it. It is like an amazing substance because not only does it support the brain and the heart, two of the vital organs, but it's great for skin, especially you know of you know for for for, for women who want a nice complexion, and it's great for the retina of the eye. Yes. So I take twelve milligrams of astaxanthin a day. And again, it comes from seaweeds. So uh, I just feel it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's one nutrient uh, that everybody should take. You know, in addition to CoQ10, Omega-3, a, a good multi and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, good. And I think we can access some of that information on, you know, your generally recommended protocols. And we will, folks, we'll put it in the show notes along with links. And we'll definitely grab as many of the citations as Dr. Sinatra is mentioning here and, and, and do our best to just populate the show notes. Incidentally, you've got that really nice article you published um, earlier this year with Mark Houston, Deanna Minnick, uh, Joel Kahn. Oh, and yeah. 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 It, Recent Science and Clinical Application of Nutrition to Coronary Heart Disease. This is in the uh, Journal of American College of Nutrition, January 2018. It's a free uh, full text. So we'll put a link uh, on that or we'll just put the PDF on the show notes. So yeah, really nice review article. Yeah, um, even though I was the third author on that, Kara, I really worked hard on that article. And I have to tell you, Mark killed himself on it. Yeah. Uh, the bibliography in itself was uh, very, very painful. I have to, I have to be honest with you. It was <laughs> an article, and I've published a lot it's of articles. Dense. I mean, really, it's, a, it's dense. There's no it doubt. Is dense. It is. It is. <laughs> it's a great paper, though. It is. Okay. I was arguing with my authors because some of the authors they didn't agree with coconut oil, and so, so, some, some of us agreed, but we had a little dissension among ourselves. But all right, uh, we let's were sort of positive neutral on coconut oil. Oh, is that all right? That's awesome. Yeah. We're going to get to coconut oil. We're going to talk about saturated fats here in a minute, I hope. <laughs> We've okay. got so much to cover. We'll have to do a part two. But anyway, I want to talk about uh, nutrition. And, you know, the PREDIMED study, that 2013 New England Journal of Medicine, where they, you know, they put the Mediterranean diet to the test. And they had, you know, some pretty amazing outcome. And they actually there was a lot of olive oil used in one of the study arms, but talk about this study and, 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 and just, you know, give me the big picture snapshot and, and what you're thinking about. Okay. All right. Well, with a last name like Sinatra, you know, I, I have some Italian, uh, you know, actually, you know, my grandfather came from Sicily. Well, New York and, uh, Italian. I can hear New York Italian. <laughs> I know New York, New York, but okay. I, have to tell you, I grew up on olive oil. Thank God. My grandfather put me on olive oil as a young child. 
and uh, I developed a taste for olive oil very early on. And then, you know, if you look at the um, oldest populations in the world, uh, the, the Mediterranean basin, as well as the Okinawans, you know, the southern yes. tip of Japan, Yes. Um, they're very close. They're only a couple of months apart, but the average age of a Mediterranean in the Mediterranean basin is around 84.7. Okinawa is a little higher, closer to 85. And yeah, with six years ahead of the average American, so to speak. So I believe that olive oil uh, is the secret sauce of the Mediterranean diet. I mean, it's no question. And several years ago, there was an article that came out that blew me away. It was another article that gave me this incredible aha that I had this glow in my body, so to speak, after reading mm. it, where uh, research has demonstrated that olive oil could reduce inflammatory gene expression. Now, think about that, Kara. Yes. You know, we all have inflammatory genes, and we've learned this, again, in, 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 in the project, in the biogenome project that got released when three guys won the Nobel Prize back in 1993. So, you know, it's still relatively new. And um, now that we know that olive oil, extra virgin, olive oil can reverse inflammation in the body. So when the researchers at the pre-demed study were given, you know, one set of, um, of, of participants, four tablespoons a day yes. of extra virgin olive oil yes. <laughs> uh, versus the American Heart Association diet. And again, nuts. Remember the studies in the seven-day Adventists who are vegetarians who eat a lot of nuts a lot of nuts contain a lot of, you know, good nutrients and monounsaturated fats where you don't need much insulin to metabolize fats. That's why fats are good for you. You, mm -hmm. you don't get the inflammatory response of insulin. Mm -hmm. But the seven-day Adventists and, um, who ate nuts and the same people in the pre-demed study who ate a lot of nuts, uh, that class and the olive oil class had less heart attack, less stroke, less hypertension, less Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. So when I read the study, and uh, we needed speakers for the American College of Nutrition, and I'm on the board of directors, about three or four years ago, I invited Dr. Gonzalez, the lead author of the study from Spain, I invited him to speak with us, and I believe we were in California at the time at the American College of Nutrition, and um, uh, the day we spoke on the podium together uh, was a day I started taking four tablespoons of olive oil a day. Wow. And I got to tell you, um, even in one of my businesses, um, uh, I, I actually manufacture olive oil in, 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 from companies in California. I'm afraid of the European olive oils now because a lot of the olive oils in Europe are cut with canola oil, yes. which is pro-inflammatory. And um, the, the unfortunate thing is you can have a – a 75% extra virgin olive oil, 25% canola, and the label will still say 100% extra virgin. Yes. Uh, that's hard. Yes. You, you do not, you know, canola oil is good for machines, and it's not good for humans. So anyway, um, I'm a big believer in California extra virgin olive oil. And by the way, Kara, the California Health Growers Council even certifies, you know, so on, on our olive oil bottles, for example, we have the certification from the California Growers Association because I believe olive oil is very medicinal for the body. It lowers blood pressure. It makes small particle LDL more fluffier. It raises HDL. It does everything right for the body. It's absolutely amazing. You know, it's funny because I was actually going to ask you about olive oil because we know that it's 
compromised now. Quality is compromised. And yeah, I, I, I agree. My solution has been to go with California source at this point, unfortunately. Well, make sure you send me your address and I'll send you some nice flavored olive oil. Oh you my know, goodness, I will. Uh, I have so <laughs> much fun. I have so much fun with olive oils and pasta sauces. You wouldn't I can't wait. I can't, I can't. I'll send you my address every day for the next week. Yeah, Joanne's um, going to send you. I'll, I'll tell you this, Kara. I've been involved with vitamins and minerals for more than three decades because I, I got into it early because of Jacob Rintz, right? Yes. But the, but the hardest thing in the country right now is eating healthy food. Yes. So, uh, you know, my next, well, I've been working on healthy foods now for four or five years. I mean, we, we, you know, the, the GMO pro problem is horrific. The BPA problem is horrific. The yes. mercury and lead problem in the food. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But, you know, we got to educate the public about healthy eating. It's the most important thing you can do to your body. And with all the insecticides, pesticides, and chemicals in the food supply, oh, yes, you, you really got to be careful. Yes, yes. Okay, so let me ask you a couple of questions that I had when I was reviewing the Predimed study before our conversation today. The, so they had one arm, you know, swimming in olive oil, four tablespoons a day. They would give them a liter a week. I thought that was pretty interesting. You'd go pick up your liter of olive oil every week. And then, they gave, and then the other arm they had, they were eating mixed nuts, basically. Right. But then the, what was interesting to me, and so, so this, they so showed some pretty interesting turnaround you know there was about a 30 percent reduction in both groups for um cardiovascular deaths and then stroke was actually reduced more it looks like it was 46 percent in the nut group at versus 33 percent in the olive oil group i don't know if the, that, that that looks like it would have achieved statistical significance is that correct oh absolutely yeah yeah in other words uh, what you're trying to say is that the nut group and the olive oil group are very similar you know, yeah. whether, whether one had less stroke and, and, and the other had less heart attack uh, or less death, it doesn't matter whether you did nuts or olive oil, uh, as opposed to the American Heart Association diet. Was that but, their control? Was the American Heart Association? Yes, that was a control. Yeah. That yeah. was a control. And remember, the American Heart Association diet, unfortunately, there's a lot of carbohydrate in it. They yes. don't like fat. I like fat because yes. you the insulin situation. Yes. So, so basically, if you like a lot of you know healthy organic nuts, go go for it. You know, if you, if you want a lot of you know healthy olive oil, I tell my patients to go for it. Yes. You know, just do it. Well, it would have been. Do you think that there would have been a difference if they had done the study using uh, having a, a a study arm as nuts and olive oil or, or all together? Yeah. You know, um, I asked Gonzalez that same question. And he thought it would be beneficial. Yes. You know, almost, almost like if you took, uh, uh, for example, for the brain, I use uh, CoQ10 and omega-3 for the brain. Yes. But when I learned about the synergism of turmeric and resveratrol, that's why I mix those because, you know, Alzheimer's and memory disorders are, you know, astronomical in our country. A lot of it has to do with the EMF and the insecticides and pesticides. I mean, we can get into that conversation later, but like, uh, protecting the brain and the brain and the heart are the most sensitive uh, mitochondrial uh, cells in the body. So yes. those two are the most specialized, but yet the most sensitive to the environment. Right. Yeah. So I, so I hear you. So nuts and olive oil together, which of course many healthy eaters are consuming together, that would be, that would have an added bonus as Gonzalez De thought. 
And then, but you, then if you throw in, I mean, I know they encouraged the consumption of seafood in the study, but if you actually throw it, threw in a controlled amount of omega-3s, you know, you've got that addition as well. And they actually didn't recommend that many vegetables. I think two servings or more a day, right. you know? So, I mean, you could, you know, as we fine tune it in our practices, I mean, these numbers would just go up. Correct. Um, yeah. It's so easy, Kara. I just tell people to eat a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, and if they want to eat organic meats, that's okay with me. But again, yeah, uh, you know. Well, listen. I like a vegetarian diet about eighty percent of the time. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you because you, because there are you know there are studies that demonstrate improve you know significant reduction in coronary heart disease with vegetarian diet and likewise with paleo diets. Now they don't right. look quite as robust as the um, data from Metapret the Predimed study, but you know, still, any comments on that? Because those are, you know, those are relatively different. Well, vegetarian as compared to paleo. Yes. This is how I would answer that, and and and, and I think my psychotherapy training uh, would 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 lend some, uh, you know, interesting f favors here. The problem with a lot of people with dietary regimens, they become too rigid. Yes. In other words, they become very strict. Uh, whether it's vegan, vegetarian, you know, uh, I've seen people who are so fanatical on this that they, they do lose with it. Um, for example, I had two women in my practice as a cardiologist, both had cardiomyopathy, both had breast cancer at the same time. Now think about that, Kara. Wow. Having breast cancer and cardiomyopathy at the same time, they were both Asian women, both vegan women. And uh, when I tested their CoQ10 levels, they were in the basement. They were like 0 0.01, 0 0.02. I mean, and this is from good labs. At the yes. Midwest. Yes. And I have to tell you, um, uh, when it comes to dieting, uh, the worst thing you can do is just become so rigid where you cut out, you know, you, you stay on certain foods over and over again. Uh, that's why I like vegetarianism, 80%. And if you want to have some organic meats like buffalo or free-range chicken or wild fish, you know, in the diet, that's okay with me. I mean, I, I like that. I, so, you know, I, I, and even as a heart specialist, I, I would have people come in who are so rigid on their diets. I, I, I tried to coach them, and I would have to use some psychotherapy sometimes and basically, <laughs> you know, try to show them that, that um, being a little lenient on right. either meat or vegetables was far better. However, when it comes to sugar, yes. uh, you know, uh, and, and pure sugars in a diet like sodas or white table sugar or lots of breads and carbohydrates, you know, then I would be a little stricter with these people. So yes. a lot of vegans, for example, do a lot of, you know, sugary carbs. Right. And they get inflammatory disease and they even get coronary disease. So it's important for us to really look at diet, uh, not from a, such a rigid point of view. And, 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 you know, that's why I like to bring, you know, some, some meat to the table, so to speak, in, in sort of a vegetarian diet. Well, let's talk about saturated fats. You know, I mean, and now obviously not all saturated fats are created equal. There's the short, medium, long, very long chain fats. I mean, right. what do you, what, give me your, give me your thoughts on, on, on saturates, you know, overall, and then maybe. Overall in a diet. I don't worry about saturated fat like some of my colleagues do. Um, mm -hmm. Look, I mean, uh, saturated fats um, don't require insulin, which is right. a very important aspect. Now, look, uh, if you replace saturated fats with refined carbohydrates, 
uh, and you use carbohydrates because you think they're safer than saturated fats, your incidence of coronary artery disease increases, absolutely increases. So I look at it this way. If, my, if a person says to me, Doc, I like to eat a, a, a diet that's maybe 20% to 30% protein and maybe about 30 to 40% carbohydrate and the rest fat, is that okay? Absolutely. I mean, I endorse that. Now, if they say, look, I'm avoiding all trans fats, I'm getting rid of the inflammatory fats, um, and, and I like a lot of omega-3s, but I'm avoiding the saturated fats, I don't go for that because I think saturated fats are important for you. Yes. And like I said, I don't think they do the harm that we think they did years ago. So yeah, as a heart specialist, I allow my patients to go with saturated fat. Look, the pre-med study sort of supports it as well. And what about, uh, so you said that you were debating in your, in your publication with Houston and at all, you know, the, the idea of medium chain triglycerides. What was the, what was the take on? What were you guys the, debating? The take was this, the take was this, you know, you know, try to uh, eat more monounsaturated fats. But if you, but if you did want to have like um, some degree of saturated fats, like maybe a little coconut or something, if you wanted to do that, we were okay with that. We, we, we let that go. Good. <laughs> in, in other words, I didn't want to bring rigidity to the yeah. table. Look, people, you know, you know, it's like chocolate, Carrie, you know? I mean, I, I know some people who would avoid all sweets, but when it comes to the dark polyphenols and, or, or, or the polyphenols and dark chocolate, that's like 80%. I mean, there's good data to show that dark chocolate with polyphenol activity reduces high blood pressure, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, the problem with a lot of us when it comes to diet, our own rigidity gets in the way. And yeah. uh, we have to watch that. What about, well, speaking on, on that topic of rigidity, what about Esselstein? I mean, his, his, his approach, it's a vegan fat-free. I mean, I know, I, know. Where you're, I, know. I know where you're going with this or what your opinion. We have our battles. Listen, <laughs> yes. I, I, I revere him. I respect him. I mean, my gosh, I mean, uh, he was a hero in Vietnam. I mean, I, I got to tell you, he's, he's a prince of a guy. Um, I just disagree with him on certain aspects of the diet. He's a pure vegan. I mean, um, and you know, like even no in the fat. Study, I mean, even in the Ornish study years ago, they had a plaque rupture. You know, I mean, you need fats to stabilize plaque. There's no doubt about it. Mm. So, I mean, um, I, I would say this: that if you did do a vegan diet, if you followed the uh, Edelstein diet, uh, most people would do okay. But there are some people that wouldn't do okay. Yeah. And now that we know about the biogenome project, I would say that. Um, <laughs> You need some fats. We need fats. And, yes. and, and when people restrict fats too much, and if you don't have the genetic hardware in your body, oh my gosh, well, then you're on the path to a, a possible cardiac event. Well, so, and quite simply, our brain is what, 70% fat? I mean, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and again, the brain and the heart and the retina, you know, they share a lot of, uh, you know, nutritional considerations. So, let me ask you about, we talked, we were chit-chatting on the phone before about the APOE alleles, you know, the 4-4, right. 3-4, cetera, 2-2. Two, two. I mean, what are you just, what are you thinking about with regard to advising your patients with these particular, with the, with, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you dealt a poor, you know, set of alleles, for example, if you, if you get dealt poor genetics, um, you know, this is something that people can 
possibly interfere with with diet. In other mm -hmm. words, um, if you don't have the genetic structure and if you're prone to memory disorders or like Alzheimer's disease, then I would tell people to really, you know, beef up the omega-3, increase coenzyme Q10, increase carnitine, use acetyl-L-carnitine, use resveratrol, use turmeric. So in other words, if you get a bad set of genes and you know it and you have, and I would tell them to drink less alcohol, use less sugars. So sometimes these genetic maps can cause a lot of undue stress because we think we're going to be doomed. But on the other hand, it gives you a blueprint to work from so yes. you can do something in the environment to protect yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's if you right. build a bad set of genes, it's not a death sentence. Now you have the knowledge to combat it on the environmental level, and you can choose your diet and your supplements wisely. And actually more and more research is coming out demonstrating just that, and specifically with the APO34 and, you know, turning around risk because, right. you know, with, with diet. Uh, all right, definitive word on alcohol. I thought it was, was kind of interesting that the um, Predimed study allowed seven or more glasses of wine a week. You could have it's quite a, a bit of alcohol. <laughs> you could have quite a bit of alcohol, and they still got these really amazing numbers. What's your comment? I mean, there's studies coming out all the time with, you know, differing conclusions with regard to it. So, Well, they allowed seven drinks a week, right? Seven or more, seven or more, seven or more. Great, great, greater than or equal to seven glasses a week. Of wine. Of wine. That's like a glass a day. That would be my max. Uh, yep. You know, um, I always tell people when it comes to wine, um, every other day is really the best. You know, a glass or two of wine every other day, give your body a rest. Look, let's face it. You know, the French paradox demonstrates that that the French have an average cholesterol of 260 to 270. But they have the lowest incidence of heart disease in Western Europe. And, and we think it's the resveratrol and the red grape or the, or the wine, for example. They're, they're drinking a lot of red wine. And, and this protects you uh, from coronary artery disease. However, however, the French have the highest incidence of cirrhosis in the world. Mm. So, you know, we, we have to look at these and say, okay, Moderation is the key. It's almost like going back to the vegetarian diets, these pure vegetarian diets. You know, we cannot be rigid. And yes. the same thing is true with alcohol. I mean, um, you a little alcohol is okay, but too much alcohol definitely has a downside. Definitely right. has a downside. Right. So I don't want people drinking alcohol if they don't drink alcohol. I mean, even my patients would come in and say, Dr. Sinatra, should I start drinking wine? I would say, no, don't do it. You know? <laughs> Why yeah. drink if you don't have to? You know, but I would put them on supplements. I'd put them on resveratrol and think of omega-3s and things like that. But like, you know, if people want to drink wine, that's okay with me. And again, as long as they're organic and, and, and you, know, you know, a lot of wines have sulfites, have too many sulfites, you know, too many insecticides, pesticides. But if you can yes. do a nice organic wine, uh, with, with, you know, some, you know, some nice phytonutrients in it. I'm all for it. All right. I have a few more questions for you. We're way over time, folks. I appreciate you hanging on. I know this has been a really interesting podcast. Um, give me, give me a, give me a rundown, I guess me being a lab geek with my laboratory back down, give me a rundown on the labs that you're thinking about that, 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 that are the essential, uh, investigations you're going to be making on your patients. Well, I mean, when I was practicing cardiology, I always looked at inflammation. I mean, yeah. I, I never believed in the cholesterol theory of heart disease, although small particle LDL and, 
LP little a, small particle LP little a is, is really the, uh, cl the truth about cholesterol. And I wrote that in my books, The Great Cholesterol Myth, and you know, that's all available. But you know, when it, when it comes to um, um, you know, this whole cholesterol theory and um, uh, this whole LDL situation, um, <laughs> we just have to be careful in, in, in a sense that we, we can't focus on cholesterol too much because um, if you focus on the LDL in the body and primarily focus on that, some of these people may be eating far too many carbohydrates, for example, and they, they may throw fats out of their diet. It's like throwing a baby out with the bathwater. So, Kara, it's just important to realize that um, uh, I really feel when it comes to heart disease, inflammation is the key. Mm -hmm. So what I go after, I can look at inflammatory mediators in the blood, like homocysteine, for example. LP mm -hmm. little a, I mentioned it before, mm -hmm. is highly inflammatory. In fact, LP little a is like a small cholesterol particle with a disulfide bridge. Not only is it highly inflammatory, it causes blood clotting. Yes, so yes. When I well, check people for LP little a, I would want to reverse it. And I would use lumbrokinase and natokinase and things like that. Fibrinogen okay. in postmenopausal women, horrible, yes. horrible. If fibrinogen levels go up, you've got to re reduce fibrinogen. And if you have a lot of serum ferritin in the body, that's a pro-inflammatory mediator as well. So, and, you know, I mentioned homocysteine and like uh, uh, these inflammatory mediators, now high blood sugar is a, an inflammatory mediator. So yes. we need to look at the blood. And then there's myeloperoxidase and newer ones. I wrote about that with my son, Drew, in the, in the recent article the alternative therapies but there are so many inflammatory mediators that you can go to your doctor especially somebody like you who came out of the laboratory you can measure these inflammatory mediators and neutralize them and when you do that uh, you're doing your patient a lot of good it's not just LDL and HDL which a lot of patients think it is there are more potent inflammatory mediators in our body than dysfunctional HDL or small particle LDL yeah, absolutely. Well, and thanks for that pearl around how you lower LP little a. I mean, I lean on niacin. I, I certainly have tried a lot of vitamin C, you know, a yes. lot polling, but I didn't see the turnaround. But lumbrokinase is the best. Calorie. And how are you dosing it? How are you dosing it? I, I basically uh, tell people to take two capsules a day. I mean, I have no affiliation with the company. It's a Canadian company. It's called Baluki, uh, B-O-L-U-O-K-E. I think you can get it online. Uh, and I think they've done the best research on LP little a and uh, uh, Perfect. I just use it because LP little a is the real cholesterol story. Like I mentioned before, that is the real story. So, you know, you're, you're the, uh, you're certainly one of the pioneers in our, you are, you're just such a pioneer as you've shared your extraordinary experience and stories with me today, which I just, uh, I just really appreciate that we diverged because it was, so inspiring to me. Uh, a lot of new, um, well, students studying medicine, there's a, a whole lot of student naturopathic doctors doctors to be listening, and there are plenty of uh, medical doctors transi transitioning into functional medicine who will um, tune into our podcast. So what, I mean, what, just, just from your journey, you know, what would you say to them about this, uh, this amazing journey they're embarking on? Any, any words? Yes, yes. Your patients will be your best teachers. Not your professors, which will give you 
the basics. But listen to your patients because the more alternative you are, the more your patients will flock to you. And some of these patients will come up with amazing discoveries that you never have heard of, for yeah. example. They will come in and say, hey doc, I started taking licorice root and it's amazing, it really helped me. Or, they, or they'll come in with this herb or that herb. Uh, and like, you may not know anything about it, but what, what I used to say to my patients over the years is, can you bring me an article on it or tell me where you learned about it? Because when patients get better, and, and remember this, Kara, you know, most good doctors become a good health coach. They do a dance with their patients. And, um, you know, when you can get your patients on the right road, you know, the road better traveled, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, try to educate them in diet and supplements and earthing and grounding and, you know, and, you know, detoxification measures, whatever it is. And these patients go out there and they read and they bring you material and they experiment on their own bodies. I'll tell you, I, my, it's like that one woman I put on a coenzyme Q10 with a postpartum cardiomyopathy. That's one patient that opened up the door to thousands and thousands of patients. So yes. you know, patients are your best teachers. That's the way, that's what I would tell a naturopath, a medical MD, and just listen and unfortunately, a lot of doctors, you know, they're so in a rush and, you know, they're taking notes and uh, they don't listen to the patient's story. And I'll tell you this, Kara, the most important patient story is the last 10 seconds in the, in the room. Mm, right. Are, are you privy to that? Yeah. Yes. The, I, the walking out the door. The, <laughs> I, exactly. I call it the hand on the doorknob syndrome when you're walking out of the exam room, Right. Oh, by the way. <laughs> exactly, Carrie, you got it. Oh, Doc, there's one more thing. Oh, by the way, and guess what? That's their death layer. That's the last thing they want to give up. That's the, that is the truth of, of the patient. And a good doctor will stop and listen to that last one more thing because that's the truth that the patient wants to get across. It took me 10 years of psychotherapy to realize that. That's beautiful. That's a great way to end. Well, Dr. Sinatra, thank you so much for joining me today on New Frontiers. Oh, well, thank you, Kara. It was a great interview. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making new frontiers in functional medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote new frontiers in functional medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.